Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about a topic that might split your church. Um, hopefully not, better not, it shouldn't, because <laughs> if this splits your church, your church really had problems. Um, but what we're talking about here is uh, Marty Sampson. He's one of the singers, songwriters, and musicians with Hillsong Worship, and he recently posted on Instagram a very controversial post, and I think it's important that we address this post. He talked about his doubts of faith, and that's on shaky ground, and all these different things. So I really want to address this because this seems to be a trend in our Christian leadership and our faces of the faith, so to speak, and I want to make sure that we talk about this as a church because this is a trend where we're seeing people follow these people as well, and if these people are going to be influencers, we need to address it when they say stuff like this. So anyway, I want to first talk about what he said specifically. So he posted this on Instagram. He said, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. He then went on about how wonderful Christians were, about how some were so judgmental, and that he doesn't live his life for anyone else. He, of course, later deleted this Instagram post, but not before it accrued over 800 likes, which is kind of disturbing when you really think about it. He later clarified that he didn't renounce his faith, that it's just on shaky ground, and I think that's important that we do address that. But he said this, if most of humankind had a choice, this is in his clarification, would we not rid the world of, scourge, of the scourge of cancer or sickness and disease? Why doesn't God do such a thing? Of course, there is an answer to this question, but the majority of a typical Christian's life is not spent considering these things, and that such questions are in the too hard basket. I have and continue to analyze the arguments of prominent Christian apologists and biblical scholars and am open-minded to consider the arguments of atheist debaters and debaters from other religions. He continued and said that the um, if the truth is true, it will remain so regardless of my understanding of it. If I search it out, surely it will become even more clearly seen as the truth that it is. Examining a diamond more closer reveals the quality of the diamond. As I am still breathing, I am still learning. He then continued to say that he uh, continued to say that he was having an open mind about this and going forward that he would make his own decision and it shouldn't reflect one way or another on Hillsong. And I do want to say at least I will give him props there. At least he's trying to make sure that as he says all of this and as he does all this publicly that not to take Hillsong down with it. But what is sad to me is the fact that that should have happened right at the beginning of this because naturally the people that he's traveling with and I think Casting Crowns is doing some stuff with them. It now reflects on them. So, uh, but I do like the fact that he did clarify that. So, but first I want to talk about the reaction. The, I mean, not first, next I want to talk about the reaction. His initial post, as I mentioned, got 800 likes. And then a chain reaction of criticism rightfully came his way. But what's bothering to me, what's bothering to me, what's disturbing to me is that 800 likes is a lot of people on Instagram following him. And he's a Christian leader, so to speak. He's a very prominent Christian person. So it really bothers me that we have 800 Christians that would like that. Um, so anyway, people reacted. There's posts about how devastated people were, how angry they were, shocked, and everything else. But my first question about all this is, why do we turn to music leaders and music and worship directors 
for our leadership and for our theology and to represent our faith. I think that is a huge problem in Christianity today, especially modern Christianity and Western world Christianity. We see a lot in America and in the in Europe and in Australia, but you know, we don't see that nearly as much in places where Christianity is prominent like China or Africa, the entire continent of Africa really. So this also shows the other problem, which is the age of social media, right? So. Um, social media can be very dangerous because it gives everyone a platform, it gives everyone a voice, and no one wants to listen. So it just turns into some guy just being able to take his platform and spew whatever comes to mind, and then regardless of any knee-jerk reaction that might happen. So many of the questions though he asked, like he talked about the contradictions in the Bible, why would God send people to hell, and all these different things. Many of the questions proposed by Marty have been dealt with regularly by Christian speakers and apologists for well for the better part of 2000 years, right? So we see these things are brought up all the time. So he's really it makes me wonder honestly if he's ever truly looked into these questions himself. He's saying that no one talks about it, which I'm be kind of suggests the fact that he never talked about it nor the people he was around ever talked about it. So it kind of points to the fact that he himself didn't arm himself and now he's blaming all of Christianity as opposed to taking responsibility there. Of course, later in his clarification, he does say that he is listening to and will continue to listen to apologists and whatnot, but it definitely raised a red flag with me. And this is why I want to talk about for a minute here on the channel, why this really came up with me is, uh, this is why apologetics are, is extremely important. Understanding apologetics. Why do you believe what you believe? If you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? And don't just give me the whole, well, I believe, you know, the Bible is God's word and, you know, I believe, you know, no, I'm not saying that that's bad to believe that. Obviously, you should believe that. But why do you believe it? What point, what evidence do you have? What argumentation do you have to be able to present somebody who has these very same objections that Marty has? And he's someone who's been singing with Hillsong since he was 16 years old. And now suddenly he's having doubts in his faith with these questions. How do you answer those tough questions? And you know, the, the best questions is, you know, or, the question of origin, morality, meaning, destiny, and identity. Uh, Ravi Zacharias is very popular in talking about origin, morality, meaning, and destiny. He talks about those all the time. And this is why your faith ought not to be from an entirely uneducated perspective. Many people's is, and I will say that, like, I, you know, there's a lot of people who come to me and they, they don't even know how to defend some of the basic parts of their faith. So how are you equipping yourself? But I will say also, the, these questions I was asking, basically, which by philosophers and apologists have said, is the problem of evil. And how do you talk about that with your Christian faith? And the problem of evil is dealt with by most pastors I know of and most Christians I talk to. Now, I'm not saying that this isn't a weak pillar in maybe some churches, but this is definitely something that ought to be addressed and is addressed in many of them. So I think the whole idea of no one talks about it is just wrong. There's plenty of people who do. In fact, I know one particular speech by Ravi Zacharias has well over a million views and he talks about those very questions. So uh, the next part is I want to talk about what is apologetics. Uh, apologetics is uh, not saying I apologize. That's, <laughs> that's one of the funniest parts I probably ever had was uh, talking to somebody like, well, what about apologetics? Like, oh, I don't like apologetics. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, I don't think we should apologize for our faith. And I was just the very, anyway, <laughs> talk about an uneducated perspective sometimes. Apologetics is not apologizing for your faith, okay? Apologetics is making a defense 
1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And the word there where it says to make a defense is the Greek word apologia, which is to verbally make a defense, to learn how to uh, wow, articulate your thoughts to defend the faith. So that's what he's saying. Prepare, always being prepared to make a defense to who? Anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. What is the hope that is in you if not the gospel? So be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. But he says how to do it. To do it with gentleness and respect. And many Christians might be able to make the defense, but they're not very gentle about it. And certain Christians are very gentle about it, but they don't know how to make a defense. So I want to encourage you there. So this is why apologetics is important. And also notice that it was something that's all important to Peter since he told you to do it. And then also look at Acts 17, 17. What does it say that Paul did? It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with them every day. Learning to reason with people and learning your faith and understanding it more deeply will be one of the most beneficial things that you could do for your faith. Because all these questions that Marty's bringing up are questions that people have asked and talked about for for hundreds of years and almost 2,000 years at this point. They're not new. I almost call it like cage stage atheistic questions, right? Like, oh, I'm just now discovering this thing called atheism. So do you know the Bible says you can't eat shrimp regardless of context of what it says? This is important. And it's really important that we also don't looked to these people to represent your faith. They should not be what represents your faith. Um, they ought to, I mean, obviously you want them to be, you know, part of the faith. You want them to represent it well, but they ought not to become the face of the faith. And we ought not to look to them for that. I'm going to go on that tangent more later. But one thing's for certain, one thing that people seem to think is that faith is just blind. And I know we talk about blind faith and all these things. And there is a point where, yes, I I need to learn how to take that leap of faith regardless of maybe I don't know, right? And there's certain things that I can't see with my own eyes. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we have this lie in our culture that all faith in our Christian faith is without evidence. There is no evidence of your faith. Uh, That is actually completely false. In fact, there's plenty of evidence for the faith in Christianity and history, um, historical and textual and also philosophical. We can really get into these things. And I do plan to make videos on this in the future more in depth. Right now, it's just kind of a breeze through. But too often, we seem to believe our faith is entirely unfounded on any facts. And you just believe it. But this is not the case. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be able to make a defense for the hope. So what we should do. First off, I want to talk about what we should do. One of the things is, yes, Marty kind of opened the door for criticism. I mean, he publicly said this, so therefore now people have to publicly chastise him, right? There has to be a public rebuke. But what we ought to do as well is instead of just condemning, is we really do need to pray for him and lift him up. Because if he is has done been part of Hillsong for years and been even going through the motions and never truly saved, we still need to pray for him and lift him up. Whether he's a, whether we, you think that he was ever saved or not, it's not really your point. We need to be praying for him, lifting him up. We ought to pray that the Lord will send those who are spiritual into his life and uplift him. 
not just go straight on the attack and tear him down. I've seen a lot of Christians do this, where they just they were just visceral to him. And I don't think that's that, I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's what we're commanded to do in the Bible. We are told to rebuke. Then we are told to judge and discern properly. Uh, the only time we're supposed to do that, though, is to completely uh, like abandon somebody and treat them in such way in such ways as if you read Matthew 18 is after they've been rebuked multiple times and they don't repent, then we get to kick them out. But I'm seeing a very, very ugly trend. And this does tend to happen a lot in the church. These people, um, but the people like Marty are making stronger and bolder claims and they do so with a following so we must rebuttal it and this brings galatians 6 1 to mind as i talked about having someone who is spiritual pray that someone spiritual will enter his life and do, talk to him about these but also that somebody will rebuttal these issues galatians 6 1 says this brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression which is a sin you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And right here, he really makes clear that those who are spiritual ought to go to him now. So those who are spiritual in Marty's life need to go to him and try to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But they also need to keep watch on themselves, lest they too be tempted and pulled away. So we ought to be praying for that. That needs to, we, is the body of Christ is so important and it's a sacred thing of God. So we need to be making sure we are encouraging that first, that the body of Christ comes around him and lifts him up. But then there are those who did like the posts. And one thing I've noticed, as I mentioned briefly before, is the lack of intellectual Christianity, honestly, the lack of intellectual Christianity in the mainstream Christianity. We see a lot of mainstream Christianity with all the worship bands and all the different festivals, but we don't really see the intellectual side of Christianity come very often. I mean, they do, they travel, people like Ravi and whatnot, well, I mentioned him a few times in this video, it won't be the last time, but they travel to universities and try to answer these questions. And But that intellectual side of Christianity is really takes a back burner and we need more of that. We have you know, mostly singers and good inspirational speakers in the limelight. And we don't have nearly as many proclaiming not just the gospel, but those willing to reason with other people. We don't have people who are, who are reasoning with them every day. Instead, we have somebody who might speak some nice words and we might have some great, great music. And those things aren't bad, but we need to bring some of that here. And somebody that comes to mind is there's a member in the church that I pastor. Um, he's a young man. And we really saw him transition, right? Like he, he started coming, his parents didn't come to church. He started coming to church because a girl in the youth group kept basically almost dragging him by the ears. Would you say that was pretty accurate, by the way, of how that worked out? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Brian agrees. Sore ears. Sore ears. Yeah. And just, are you coming to church tomorrow? Are you coming? And he started coming. And then he came, started coming faithfully. He used to party on the weekends. Now he tells people, I can't go to the party. I have church tomorrow. And now he leads our praise and worship here at church. And he has, we've seen him go for the boy to a man. And now his mother is coming to church and he just recently wants to sit down and talk to me because he wants to know how to defend his faith more strongly. And that right there, it changed his life and it deepened his faith. We need to bring some of that into our churches and our main conferences and these things that are as you know some thousands and thousands of dollars are going into all these uh big events for singers and lighting and and speakers but what about that we need a bit of that i think there i think that's part of i think that's part of a failure on marty's part and i also think that might be a failure around people he's been around and what and the culture that he was set up for um anyway we also know the bible does talk about that there will be a great falling away 
But in American Christianity, um, American Christianity is really in crisis. It, there is a crisis in our Christianity today, and we see that in the polls. If you see it where there's a decline of Christianity in many ways, and I think there's a reason for this. I think the reason that this is happening is because we traded a relationship for a trophy. You know, good job, I'm a Christian, and you almost like have this moral high ground that people try to pull, or in a sense, the trophy being um, almost a sense of virtue signaling, as opposed to a relationship with God. So we've traded a relationship for a trophy. We've traded the truth for feelings and flattery. We've traded the Bible for nice words. And being the body for corporate church, if you're at a mega church, you know, be the body for a corporate church. But if you're at a small church, you may have traded the body of Christ for inclusiveness and exclusivity. There's a big problem with small churches with cliques, and there's a big problem with big churches with a corporatism and a consumerist mindset. We really need to come back to trying to be the body, which is actually one of the reasons why I actually picked up the book by Francis Chan, uh, Letters to the Church, a little side note there, because I just really was like, I want to try to reflect the church as much as possible. I've been doing a lot of research on the on the early church because I want to reflect that church. I want to reflect that body that, that God says we are to be. So, and the biggest crime, and I would say definitely the biggest crime here is that we have traded God's word for worship leaders, singers, speakers, and even thought leaders instead of God's word itself. The thought leaders being the intellectual Christianity that I've been talking about that I think is a very good thing, a very powerful thing to have. But we've also traded, we've traded all of it. We trade God's word for all of that. Like, you know, um, instead of, a lot of people have been going to church for years, but they can, they barely know their Bible. And that's a problem. We need to understand God's word. We need to love God's word. We need to engage God's word more. And maybe with that, we'd actually see people's faith more anchored. And remember, some speakers can be greatly beneficial. I'm not saying these speakers are bad, but they shouldn't become the face of your faith. The true item of your faith ought to be the word itself. And I honestly, sincerely pray that Marty looks back at this moment with a more firmly and founded truth-based faith and it all becomes a bad memory for him. That's what I really sincerely hope and pray. But oftentimes, when people are this public about it, when people are saying this so boldly, they're already one foot out the door. So now I wanted to take a few seconds here to rebuttal some of the things that were said, okay? Truth doesn't change. He did mention that, you know, if the truth is true, then me examining it further won't change it. And he's right there. But it's not like you get to discover a new truth, right? Truth doesn't change. It's true or it's not. So it's either honest or it's a lie. Leaving the faith isn't some sort of new founded truth. Like, oh, I found a new truth. It's really going wherever the winds might blow, right? Like wherever my feelings go, going to tickling ears. And but, you know, he actually had mentioned like a new truth at one point. And I think that's a huge problem. There is no new truth. The truth was always true. And that's what's kind of funny when it feels like he never has understood what it means to be objectively true. You know, um, the truth is that the sky is blue. You discovering the sky is blue doesn't mean the sky is now a new truth and it's blue. It means it was always blue and you just discovered it. It's a consistent line. And then the other question that he brought up is, why would a loving God send someone to hell? And again, this always shocks me when somebody brings this up as like a newly founded, like a, like a, the cage stage atheist, if you will. These are questions people have wrestled with for, for well over uh, 1,500 years. And 
they always act when they ask these questions like they're the first person to discover it. Like, no one talks about this. Yes, we do. Plenty of us do. And in short, here's the thing. Why would a loving God send billions of people to hell for not believing in him? You're blaming the wrong person. God's not actively sending you to hell. You sent yourself to hell. Remember, God is perfect. He is holy. He is divine. He is entirely separate from all things earthly and is sacred. He is so holy that to be in the presence of sin is impossible because it is the exact opposite of his nature. It is something completely separate and detestable to him. So when hell was created, it was created to punish and judge sin. And who was the first thing that sinned? Well, it was really Satan, was it not? And then humanity was dragged down with it. God punishes sin. My sin that I chose to engage in, my own sinful nature, condemns me to hell. I sent myself there. God doesn't send me there. He has to punish the sin because he is a good and just judge. It's like there is a law. God has a moral law. He has a law that he's laid out. And when you break that law, he is the judge and he has to judge righteously. What would you do if the judge who somebody broke the law, let's say they slandered or they embezzled money or they murdered somebody and the judge let them off scot-free? Well, you'd say that judge is a terrible judge. We see that all the time when people get away with rape and all these other horrible things. We, we, we come out and we protest that judge. Well, yeah, that's exactly why God has to do what he has to do. He has to judge the sinner, but he also loves the sinner. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and take the blame so that anyone who puts their faith in him and said, God, I am sorry, I repent, I turn away from my wicked ways, and I just trust in you, and you fall in love with him, then there's a pass for your sin. It still says you'll answer for it, like you're still going to stand at the judgment seat, but it'll be Jesus who goes, remember, I took his sin for him. So there is something there to understand. You're, you're blaming the wrong person. We're saying God's sending them to hell. And it's the number one thing that bothers me. I think that question alone is always the one that gets under my skin I, I, it, because we are completely blaming the wrong person. And then he mentions the contradictions in the Bible. Obviously, I could, I'd ha that would, that's a whole like series you could go through. But in short, the Bible doesn't have contradictions. If you actually study the presumed contradictions, you'll find that it doesn't contradict itself at all. You'll find that may, when people are pulling things out of Leviticus to contradict other parts of the Bible, well, Leviticus is the Levitical law to the priests. And so context oftentimes clarifies a lot of the objections. But then there's the other ones like, you know, um, after Christ resurrected, then suddenly, you know, one account says there are two angels and the one said the angel spoke. And then I like, see this one says one and that one says two. There's a contradiction. No, there's not. One simply said, mentioned the one angel. The other one recorded both angels. One mentioned only one, but didn't say there was only one, just mentioned only one. So that's not a contradiction. And again, context usually clarifies the others. And then what's funny is that he said, he said, I quote, if you have a standard view of morality, then he, then he made the case of it's wrong to send people to hell or to give kids cancer or for kids to have cancer. He mentions if you have a standard view on morality, and this is, deserves its own video, but the issue is that without 
the objective case for God without God existing, you have no standard objective view for morality. You can't make a claim of what is moral, what is immoral without the authority of God. Otherwise, your morality, your standard view of morality purely becomes subjective based on your opinion and you don't have a case even to bring up against God. Because without an authority, the rules mean nothing. It is just your opinion. So your opinion is, it's wrong. And my opinion is, it's not, or whatever. Your opinion is entirely subjective upon yourself. So therefore, to quote Frank Turek here, Mother Teresa was really no better than Hitler because it was all just a matter of opinion and there was no authority saying that was actually wrong. So there is no actual case there for him. Um, then 1 Timothy 4.3 says this, which I think is a really good, I think this verse really brings forth a lot of what we're seeing here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that is truly what is happening here. He's not enduring sound teaching, and people are having itching ears going to whatever fits their own passions, whatever fits their own opinions and wants and desires, and not what is objectively true. Churches handle these questions, by the way, all the time, and it's usually called the problem of evil, as mentioned before. And there are many ways that these questions are answered, and I could get into a lot of them, but I'm not going to for the sake of time. So, we will probably deal just with this, that topic alone in its, in its own separate video. I think that would be the best thing to do. And then I wanted to quickly, I'm going to scroll back up here. Give me a second, because I think there's a few other things worth mentioning. When he mentions, too, that I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me, if you are truly a believer in Christ or truly were a believer in Christ, that should bother you. Um, I've had doubts in my faith when I was growing up, and it bothered me. It truly bothered me that I was having, having these things. And then he also says that, how many preachers fall? He goes, many, not many, and no one talks about it. Many preachers fall, and many people talk about it. I, I know specifically of a, of a preacher that, that was known in my life, and things fell apart, and man, people talked about it, and people really were bothered and hurt by it. And then he says, how many miracles happen? And he goes, well, not many, and no one talks about it. Miracles happen all the time. Actually, people talk about this a lot. We see, we've seen amazing things and answers to prayer in our own church. But if you actually decide to go out of your way for about five seconds or talk to people at these events, you'll hear of God working miracles all the time. It's just maybe God's not splitting a Red Sea again, but man, he is still working in other ways. So I really think that there is a lot here that he missed. And I think there's a lot here that he hasn't genuinely looked into. So I wanna end this with a challenge. We ought not rejoice and be excited when these situations happen, and we ought not to attack him viciously, but we do need to call it out as wrong. When apostasy strikes the church, it's the church's job to stand out and say something, to speak truth, but with love. And if anyone with Marty, I doubt anyone that Marty or would know would even watch this video, but if so, just know that we love you and that the body of Christ does love you. And we hope that you get these issues in your faith worked out. So we ought to pray for Marty. We ought to pray for him. But also his questions here reveal a problem, as mentioned before, in mainstream Christianity. We need more people teaching sound doctrine. And we need to push the truth of God's word first. We need to put his word first and foremost and answer these tough questions if it truly is lacking, like he says. Now, that's the thing. It's like I'm, I know growing up and all throughout my life, 
people will talk about this all the time. I know there's a lot of speakers that talk about this, but if what he's just saying is true in the mainstream area that he's in, that no one talks about it, then they need to be. Not just pushing great songs and love and grace and open arms. These are good and these are truthful. We ought to, I mean, we ought to sing in songs and we ought to love and have open arms, but without the foundation of the Bible and a standard of truth, justice, and morality, it's all empty. There's no point in it. Too often, Christians in the mainstream do tend to avoid these questions, I think, because I have been to some of these events, for fear almost of offending people or making Christianity um, not look appealing anymore. Like, because there are some harsh realities. Like, to be a follower of Christ, you know, everyone wants a savior to save them from their sins, but not everyone wants a Lord over their life to govern them. So I think there's a tendency to try to make Christianity more appealing, and, and therefore they avoid some of the hard questions. So I think there's a combination of truths here that he's talked about. And too often the church preaches, a, you know, um, about a savior, as mentioned before, but not the Lord. And here's, a, here's the fact, Jesus is our Lord and savior. You can't have one without the other. Some churches push being a Lord more, like you have these rules and these, he's a Lord over your life and you need to follow these and this very, just almost like, almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Burdensome uh, and sometimes oppressive with it. And they don't talk enough about God's grace and him being a savior. And other churches talk about him being a savior and they never talk about him being a Lord. But he's our Lord and savior. He's not just a superhero to save you and he's not some judge ruling over you. He's both of these things and so much more. He also expects you to be anchored in, in your faith. If you read Psalm 1, he talks about the tree that's planted by the waters. And this is what will actually make you a healthy Christian, being planted by the waters and seeking God who is both your Lord and Savior. So church, let me challenge you to study these questions, to study the word yourself and make Christ the Lord of your life. Cherish it, cherish the word, cherish Jesus Christ and go forward making disciples and being anchored in the faith. Do not fall victim into putting your faith in people because clearly in this situation you can tell people will fail you. People are going to fail you. He never fails us though. God never fails us. So don't put your faith in people. Don't put your faith in figures. Do not put your belief system in thought leaders. Place it all on the Holy Scriptures in all whom they represent, which is Jesus Christ. And learn to give, quote, an apologetic. Learn to make a defense of the hope that is within you. And if you do not know how to do that, then I just want to take a few seconds to give you a few suggestions. You can YouTube some of these people. You can read these books if you want to. Um, and obviously the first apologetic to learn is if you wanted to make a defense for the word, you need to study the word. So know the word. And then there are some good Christian philosophers. Now, this isn't me contradicting myself. I'm not saying that these are the thought leaders you should put all your whole faith and trust in, but these people do really write good commentary here. So um, the, probably the number one best read is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's deep, it's heavy, but it's good. So Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, On Guard by William Lane Craig, The Real Face of Atheism, The Logic of, uh, the Logic of God, and Jesus Among Secular Gods by Ravi Zacharias. Also, um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. I would say that that is probably one of the best beginner books for anyone trying to learn more deeply. Um, and as I mentioned, that's not to say that you put your faith and trust in these people, but it is to say that these people have written things that are founded on scripture and definitely can be beneficial to you. So, and also if nothing else, 
look them up, just Google them, YouTube even. Uh, YouTube is a great source for C.S. Lewis, William Lane Craig, for obvious Zacharias, and Frank Turek, and many, 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 many more. But that's a good de that's a that's a good way to get your feet wet. Um, and then you'll find yourself like me and losing hours of your life in it. I really enjoy it. It's probably one of my favorite pastimes, but um, I'm weird like that. I'm a broken human. Anyway, so these studies, though, personally, studying apologetics has greatly deepened my faith and anchored my faith more deeply, and I hope it will for you as well. But bottom line is, is I want to leave you on the, this verse, which is 1 Peter 1.25. But the word of God remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord re remains and endures forever. So the more you dig into it, the more and more you'll find. It truly does stand on its own merit and it truly does stand on truth. So I encourage you to look into it. So anyway, this has been uh, the church split. This has been uh, my talk on Marty on Marty Sampson who uh, from Hillsong and uh, really just want to encourage the church to pray for him, lift him up and equip yourselves for the spiritual warfare that is out there. So anyway, as always, like, subscribe to the channel, write a comment. Uh, I do try to answer every single comment on all my social media and on the YouTube channel itself. So if you have a question or you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, go ahead and submit it to us. And uh, this has been The Church Split. Have a good day.